excellencies um, and to um, really not just have um, places where we're inserting truth, but the opportunity to fully work someone through who you are, what you have done, um, and uh, the predicament, the, um, the sin that we are enslaved to, and yet that Christ has redeemed us from. So please, Lord, give us, give us uh, faithful, faithfulness and give us opportunities to be bold for the sake of your name. Lord, we pray for this morning, even as we talk, really, in, a, in large measure about the heart of the gospel, that you, would, um, that you would instruct us, that you would remind us, that you would refresh us. Um, and Lord, we just ask these things and pray them in your name. Amen. All right. So, as we continue this morning, we're coming to the next item in the list of Exodus 34, um, 6 through 7. Um, so let's go ahead and go back there, remind ourselves of where we've been and where we are. Uh, so someone, when they've got that, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, uh, go ahead and read that. Okay, so we've talked about all these character qualities that God is proclaiming about himself and um, is tying to his um, personal name, Yahweh. And so we've talked about God being um, compassionate or merciful, uh, gracious, slow to anger, really patient, um, abounding in loyal kindness and faithfulness, uh, and keeping loyal kindness for thousands, and then last week we looked at his, um, God is a forgiving God. There is an impulse connected to God's character where he is uh, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. What is the next item on the list? <coughs> What's that? <coughs> yeah, it doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. Um, uh, what what do other versions read? So that's the NASB. Um, what other versions read for that one? Doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. Any differences with what you've got in front? Clear the guilty. Clear the guilty, yeah. So clear the guilty or leave the guilty unpunished. And then probably um, that last phrase there is actually a part of that item. So not leaving the guilty unpunished visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So probably that last bit in verse 7 is actually explaining to some degree what it means for the, the item that we're looking at today. So we're going to take them together. Um, so we're really finishing up verse 7. And there's this word there uh, that, as, you know, as we already noted, like uh, different translations translate it differently. So the ESV has, he will not clear the guilty... Um, and then uh, the NASB has, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. What is the difference between those two? At least to our English ears. One sounds like 
Okay, elaborate. Taking away, uh, taking away pardon. Okay. Yeah. On one side, you could say uh, one is, a, is emphasizing a legal status, right? So the idea of pardon, um, which really um, is, is clearly a contrast. Whatever, whatever is being communicated, it is clearly a contrast with what we just looked at last week, that God is a forgiving God, that he clears, um, he, he, uh, he, he forgives, you know, to use that imagery of debt, the debt of sin. He forgives that. There's an impulse there. But in the very next phrase, there's this contrast, and the question is, well, is it referring more to um, not clearing the guilty, which is the idea of kind of your legal status, versus if you think about the other translation that the NASB has, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. That's more the result side of things. Um, and they're related, and the, the word that's used here can refer to either one, so different translations go different ways, depending on the context. Given that the very next phrase says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the children's children, to the third and fourth generation, wh what does that mean? So let's just focus on that kind of latter participial phrase there. Yeah, Mike. Yeah. It's a price they pay for their sins. So this idea of visiting iniquity, which is one of the words that God just says he forgives. It's the same word, right? That forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, that first word. He's saying in the, the, that last participial phrase um, that he is um, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So those are ramifications for someone's sin which would fit more in with what? The, clear, the legal clearing idea or the punishment idea? The punishment idea, right? So the NASB probably has it better where it's the idea that um, this contrast where God is forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but he will, by no, he will certainly not leave unpunished. And actually there's not even the word guilty in the original. It's just literally, but he will certainly not leave unpunished visiting the iniquity of fathers upon sons and upon sons of sons, upon members of the third generation and upon members of the fourth generation. Okay? Now, let's think about that for a minute. Um, we, we've talked about God having this impulse to forgive. What is this saying? There are consequences, right? Um, there are, um, or what, what's, what are other ways we could say that? Yeah, Bruce. Okay, um, yeah, God doesn't forget. Like, he knows what wrong has happened. What are other ways we might um, kind of say this? What is it emphasizing? What is God saying about himself? I forg um, Forgiving iniquity and transition and sin, but God does, God referring to himself, um, he doesn't, certainly he's not going to leave unpunished. Yeah, he's just. That would be another way of describing it, right? In other words, he doesn't, this isn't the sort of like um, God saying, I forgive, uh, but uh, there is always going to be a punishment for sin. Certainly not going to just ignore it. God, God, and this is maybe where the, the person who said he doesn't forget, God doesn't ignore sin. Right? He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He, just, he doesn't just say, oh, that's okay. We're just going to forget about it. 
right? Uh, no, he can't. Why can't God, based on what we talked about even last week and times before, why can't God forget sin or ignore sin? That's maybe a better way to put it. Yeah, Mike. Yes, it's an affront. It's personal. Every sin, uh, whether done against someone else, ultimately, uh, even when you sin against someone else, it's an affront to God, right? Because you are sinning against the fellow image bearer, uh, and so you sin against the image bearer, you sin against the, 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 the reality, right? You sin against God himself. So, but every sin is an affront to God. It's personal. Uh, it's not some neutral thing like I just broke this abstract law out there somewhere. It's personal. Um, because even God's law is really just a manifestation of his eternal moral character, right? So it's personal. So God can't overlook sin. He cannot ignore it. Uh, or we could say it positively this way. God always, always, always punishes sin. Always. There's never a time, there's any sin committed, any sin committed, there will always be a punishment for that sin. Always. Now, let's kind of delve into this a little bit, and and really what we are talking about when we talk about God's always going to punish sin, it really is an aspect of his justice, right? Uh, If God is just, uh, and if he truly is uh, the, um, the one to whom all worship and praise and adoration is due, and sin is an affront. It is, sin is not loving God. It is uh, being at enmity with God. It's stealing the honor that he deserves. And we can think back to, you, you know, uh, Romans 1, uh, and talking about that exchange, exchanging the um, creator for the creature. Um, then God, if he is just and right, he has to always, always punish sin. Now, that being said, uh, let's focus again on kind of that latter phrase, because we said the latter phrase explains, he will certainly not leave unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What does that mean then? Uh, as, uh, what's, what's he indicating? Yeah, Patricia. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So you can think about it as part of the punishment that's being emphasized here. Part of the punishment for sin is the implications that it has for your children and children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. Now, if you want to see this played out in the Bible, we're going to go to one particular instance here in a second, but just think about the book of books of Kings, right? Um, where You've got um, these guys, they're idol, they go after idols or whatever, and as the king, they have wide implications for their sin, even when it's forgiven. There's implications for uh, the whole nation, but there's even implications for their children and their children's children, right? Especially, uh, and, and so that's a working out of this. So we could say this, that part of the punishment for someone's sin is the ramifications, the implications that it has for your your family and those nearest you. Uh, Now, what do you think about that? That's a little bit different than how we normally think about the ramifications and punishment for sin, but that's what God is saying here. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah. Right. Right. Now let me let me uh, uh, there there is a very it is very clear elsewhere in scripture that each person is responsible for their own sin. Now even in this context, whose sin is being punished? Even in that latter phrase, whose sin is being punished? It's the father, right? So those children are not being punished for their sin. The father of those, or the grandfather, as the case may be, is being punished for his sin. And, no, go ahead. Well, I was just wondering, you know, is this specifically, I'm, I'm going to add a nuance here, is this specifically addressing, you know, the wages of sin being death? Mm-hmm, right. So the first, so I get your, I get the cause and effect on the second option. What was the first option again? So I guess, you know, is is the grandchild really being punished no. for the father's sin, or are they just experiencing the natural? They're experiencing the natural consequences, which is part of the the ancestor's punishment. So the children in this case are not being punished for their sin. That's their own individual basis. They are experiencing the consequences for the ancestor's sin which is part of the punishment for the ancestor's sin, right? Um, which is a ramification we don't think about, but if you think about Adam, then that's everyone, right? Um, we are, we are ex- experiencing the consequences for Adam's sin. All of us are, right? Um, but that is part of the ram- that is part of. Now, I don't want to say that uh, in God declaring this, You see how he's counterbalancing something he said earlier in the verse. He said, keeping loyal kindness for thousands, right? But then on the flip side, you get this contrast where to the third and the fourth generation, he is the consequences of sin of the ancestor working their way out, right? And so it is that idea of influence or consequence uh, subsequent to generation. He's focusing on the sin of the fathers, not the sin of the individual. The sin of the individual is still going to be dealt with on its own basis, and there can be the idea of repentance. We know that elsewhere from Scripture. But what is being emphasized here as part of God not clearing, um, uh, God, uh, God uh, uh, not leaving unpunished, part of, I'm not going to say the whole thing, um, but part of that punishment is the ramifications for uh, those closest to you, and even generationally. Yeah. 
Yeah, is it? Mm-hmm. So it's just, there's a compounding effect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there's a compounding effect. Um, right. In some respects. Right. So there's that aspect of it. So this is, there's this part. So I'm not saying this is all of what it means for God to punish iniquity. We're going to talk more about this. But I'm just highlighting, because God highlights it, one aspect, one particular aspect of what it means for God to visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children. There are ramifications of your individual sin that go beyond you. Uh, I remember this very vivid, and it's, it's more on the idea of cause and effect, right? So like we, what we've been talking about. So... Um, for example, um, you think of, uh, there, there was this situation I was involved in with a family member where essentially this person's child was getting taken away. And like a lot of the families in the room trying to figure out like what's, what's, uh, what, what has happened. And that, the reason was because this individual, uh, this, this mom's sin was now having implications for her child and for the rest of the family and how she was interacting with the rest of the family, right? Um, and so it's not, um, that's the sort of thing that we're talking about. And that's the sort of thing that we see, well, let's go ahead and go there, the place I was going to take you. So go to, yeah, so Ashley has a question. I don't think it's an incorrect application. Um, I think that there are ramifications. Like, we can't undersell. Now, here's the, here's the mitigating factor. There is a mitigating factor to what God is saying here. Because elsewhere in Scripture, we very clearly see that each new generation has the opportunity to repent, to change. And it's not that those consequences aren't mitigated. It just... The, the effects of our individual sin are far-reaching and in ways that we can't even, can't even fathom. So we don't want to undersell the fact of either God's mercy, that, yeah, I have sin, and that has implications or potential implications for down the line, nor do we want to... Um, so we don't want to undersell that, undersell that reality, but we also don't want to undersell the reality of God's mercy, to those generations either, because that's exactly what he says at the front end of the verse, right? Showing loyal kindness to thousands, right? Um, so it's not like only, oh, the implications and that's it, and they aren't mitigated at all by God's mercy. That God's mercy and kindness is, is into that whole flow. Now, I think to clarify some of what we're saying here, let's go to 2 Samuel 12. So, what happens in 2 Samuel 11? David and Bathsheba. David Bathsheba, so adultery, murder uh, by the king. So we know that context. 2 Samuel 12, Nathan comes to confront. And we see, really, the reality of what um, Exodus 34, 6 and 7 
are talking about. Now I'm just going to pick out the key portion. So let's go to 2 Samuel 12, sorry if I said 7, uh, 12, 10 through 18. Okay, so let's think about this. Um, so we know the sin. We could even go to, does David repent? He does. He says, I've sinned. And if we wanted more elaboration on that, we have only to go to Psalm 51, where David is over and over again, blot out my iniquity, create in me a clean heart. Uh, all of these things. God answers Psalm 51 with the affirmative. Yes, I'm going to forgive you. Like, it's very clear from the text, that's what he did. So we see that one aspect of God, what he declares in Exodus 34, he's forgiven. But what happens? Yeah, child dies anyway. Not because of the child's sin, but because of David's sin. Um, and not only that, that's one very clear and immediate aspect of David's punishment from God for his sin. What else? What are the other consequences that are mentioned? Family turmoil, which uh, um, happens, right? So, and in really, in a large sense, that's why, that's why the books of Kings happen, is because of this, right? Um, and even talks about the sword is not going to depart from your house, which um, there's kind of this tension of like, well, wait a minute, if David is going to have a king who reigns forever on the throne, 2 Samuel 7, how does that work together with this? Which I think actually connects with what Simeon talks about to um, Mary. He says, a sword um, sword's going to pierce your own heart. Well, but in Jesus, right, that sword both comes and is, you know, kind of snuffed out at the same time, if that makes sense. However, that's an aside comment. Um, even the idea of uh, yeah, your wives are going to be defiled in the, very publicly. Uh, that happens with Absalom, right? So all of the things that God says he's going to do to punish this, he does. 
He doesn't leave unpunished. Um, but he does say he forgives. So now, what's the tension? Like, what are you all thinking at this moment? <laughs> yeah, Mike. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even for believers, because David is a be- uh, David is a believer when this happens, right? Um, so that's one aspect of this. But then the, there's got to be the question in your mind, like, well, well, then what does it mean for God to forgive, right? Because the consequences, these temporal consequences, these horrific temporal consequences for David's sin, are still in effect. And here's where we need to kind of distinguish. I think between um, the temporal consequences that God dishes out for someone's sin and really the ultimate consequences for um, someone's sin. Because David says in Psalm 51, in connection with this whole episode, he says, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So here... When we think about the offense of sin against God, right, he cannot overlook it, uh, but uh, you have, if God is infinitely worthy of honor, respect, love, devotion, all of these words, um, all, all of these realities, and then sin is not giving that, well, you just committed an infinite offense. And none of the consequences that we have talked about, even the generational consequences or even what we see with David here, these are all finite punishments. They're, 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 not, they're in no way mitigating what was done against God, right? And so when we think about, well, what does it then mean for God to forgive? It doesn't mean that all consequences, even temporal consequences, are eliminated. So what is eliminated? Um, and that's where uh, we would jump to the New Testament and we could jump to Romans 2. And we could kind of see this well, Romans 2 and 3, um, kind of hopscotch in Romans a little bit. So Romans 2, uh, and, and Paul from his argument in Romans 1 is basically saying, um, here's what people do, everyone does, These, a substance of evil is exchanging the glory of God for the, the glory of the creator for the creature and that's going to mean degradation for humanity. But then in chapter 2, he's like, hey, and if you think you're ready to judge all those other people because they're so bad, uh, then you're just as guilty because you do all of those things too. Um, and, uh, and then notice what he says as he kind of concludes at least part of this section, part of his, well, not concludes his argument, but kind of builds on it. What does this mean? Uh, Romans 2, 5 through 11. Someone go ahead and read that.
So here we get the other kind of side of things. God's talking that we've seen. God's not going to leave unpunished. Part of that that we've seen is the implications for even those closest to you, even those around you, uh, even what we saw with David, with his child who hadn't committed anything evil or, or, or good yet, um, um, and then turmoil in his household. So there's that side of things. But what's being emphasized here? What's the result of sin? Yeah, judgment according to what you've done, which means you're, uh, and again, it's very clear from chapter one that according to what you've done, your sin is exchanging the glory of the immortal God, the infinitely worthy God for the creator. So that's an infinite offense. So any offense you have, you're storing up wrath. You're just charging uh, a bunch of infinities to your account, <laughs> uh, to your debt, because that's how one of the ways that the Bible conceives of sin is as a debt, right? And you go back to the parable of the unfor uh, unforgiving servant in uh, Matthew 18, right? 10,000 talents, which is just this unimaginable amount of money, right? Uh, and that's the idea here. You're just, according to your works, and Paul is very clear, everyone's doing the same thing. You don't think you do the things in chapter one, you do the things in chapter one, you're condemned, you're storing up wrath, right? So, no amount of temporal punishments like David experiences or no amount of third and fourth generations, those are all temporal and finite. They're not going to touch the infinite debt. Um, so then, but then we have this promise for David. We have it as God declares it for Israel and he declares his character of forgiving God, forgiving iniquity and transgressing. Well, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm clearing the the, the infinite side of that debt. There still might be temporal punishments and consequences because of your sin, but those aren't infinite, right? The, the, the thing that's being forgiven is the infinite side of that, that debt, um, which is what Paul uh, effectively go, goes on to say. It's like, well, how no person can, can touch. We're finite creatures, no, even experiencing punishment, there's no way we can touch that, that accumulation to kind of use the language that Paul is using in two. So what happens? Well, that's where chapter three comes in. How does it work? Because now we've got a tension, right? How can God be just in fulfilling what he says, not leaving unpunished? And we know there's still consequences for sin, but how can he, how can he forgive the infinite even while leaving maybe some of the temporal consequences, how can he possibly do that? And that is the tension in Exodus 34, 6, and 7, right? Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but he's not going to leave unpunished. There's that inherent tension. Where is it resolved? It's resolved in Romans 3. Romans 3, starting verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a wrath-appeasing sacrifice, by his blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness. And the word for, Greek word for righteousness and justice is the same. Greek word for righteousness and justice is the same. This was to show God's justice because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Like, how can God pass over the sin of David even while there's still consequences of his child dying and horrific things like that, there's still temporal consequences. How can he pass over um, David's sin? It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Was David's sin punished? Temporally, it was, but not, that doesn't take care of the kind of infinite accumulation of debt side of things. Was the infinite accumulation of debt side of things punished? Yes. In who? Jesus. God never leaves unpunished. But he didn't say who he's going to punish, right? Now, some of that punishment does go to the person, right? But you don't want the infinite side of that. But the infinite side of that was punished. The eternal weight of God's wrath was visited on Jesus Christ on the cross. So your and my sins are always punished. It's just a matter of, am I going to bear it, or am I going to have a substitute? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 Someone go ahead and read that. Right. So God is treating Jesus as our sin, as my sin, and your sin, if you're in Christ. Um, that is accounted. This is where the imagery of like the Old Testament sacrifices in Leviticus is really handy because the idea, especially Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, right? You, there's this idea of laying on of hands on the animal, and when that happens, it's the idea of transfer. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you ever do. You ever get in the mail these these things from your bank that are uh, what are they called? Um, they're called uh, like checks you can write. You can transfer balance transfers, right? where you have a balance transfer and you can potentially transfer from a, a lower interest to, or from a higher interest to a lower interest and consolidate debt, right? Well, it's, this is a balance transfer uh, from, uh, from uh, the sinner to Christ, but not for a lower interest rate, for gone, right? It's the best balance transfer ever because Christ, and this is why, this explains why um, it needs to be God, who takes sin, right? Because if you've got an infinite debt, you need an infinite amount of worth to cancel that out, to pay that back. You're not getting that with a finite human. Even if they were the best human that could possibly live. Now, Christ does have a lived-in-flesh human righteousness that is credited to us, but his inherent value and worth as the God-man means that he can be counted as not just my individual sin, but any number of humans who believe in him sin so that they can be counted as the righteousness of God. I mean, this is the gospel, right? But you see how that all flows from that tension in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. 
forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Every kind of sin. We're talking guilt. We're talking rebellion. We're talking sin of all sorts. But then he says he's going to not leave it unpunished. Well, how does that tension work itself out? Well, only through the atonement of Jesus, such that, as Paul says in Romans 3, God is the just and the justifier, or the righteous and the righteousifier um, is the idea. So, when we talk about God's justice, and we talk about God's punishment for sin, his forgiveness of sin and his punishment for sin, it ultimately does drive us towards the gospel. God will always punish sin. He will always punish my sin. Um, it's just a matter of where that's going to be punished. Well, I think, don't think of it mechanistically, right? So, again, we, we remember God's grace and his kindness, right? He, he can still mitigate those. Not every single one of David's descendants was an absolute scoundrel, right? Um, so, you, you've got guys like Asa and Hezekiah and, you know, um, because what? Those folks, they're tr the, the issue is repenting and trusting in God's grace and mercy, right? So, uh, but you got to go in with the understanding that our sin doesn't, even for a believer, that doesn't necessarily mitigate, that doesn't necessarily eliminate, that's the better word, doesn't necessarily eliminate those consequences. Um, even for us personally, um, and even for those of us ar around us. So, which is part of God's justice, but it's not the infinite side <laughs> by God's grace. Yes, Tony. Well, sins, sins are, uh, Romans 3 is clear that the sins of guys like David or Moses or the guys in the Old Testament, they're covered in exactly the same way. So um, there's the forgiveness and, um, 
you know, all of the sacrifices, we understand that those sacrifices did nothing uh, except be a visual aid to say, you need the perfect substitute. It's pointing forward, right? But the actual payment of those Old Testament saints happened in Christ. Because that's what Romans 3 is saying. He's saying, like, he passed over former sin, so how was God just to pass over David's sin? Well, he did so only because of what Christ did in the future, right? It's the whole debit card, credit card in il- illustration, right? Um, that um, it's just a rough illustration, but Old Testament saints' sins are paid by credit card. Old New Testament saints' sins are paid by debit card, right? Um, um, which is a very crass way of, 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 of just illustrating what Romans 3 is talking about, that Christ's atonement goes backwards and forwards. Um, and so uh, I think Ezekiel 18, when it, if you read that, it does seem as like, wait a minute, is that in conflict with, with what God says in Ezekiel, or Exodus 34? Well, it's uh, emphasizing a different realities. Like it's, it's qualifying and saying, hey, you as the father, your sins can have implications for your kids. But then in Ezekiel 18, the kids are like looking at that and saying, uh, this is unjust, you're punishing us. And no, you're not, God's very clear, no, I'm not punishing you. Um, because each person is going to be held account for their own sins. But what is Ezekiel, or excuse me, Exodus 34 um, saying? He's saying, I'm punishing the father's sins, and there's ramifications for that, for punishment for this person. In Ezekiel, it's like, I'm not punishing you guys, but there are ramifications for your sin. But there's also this reality of repentance and turning from sin and trusting uh, uh, God. And that's where we see God's grace and mercy also worked out. God's the same God, Old Testament, New Testament, law, uh, gospel. Does I mean, it, the, the gospel is the gospel in the Old Testament too, right? Um, so um, it, it's the same God throughout. Um, but uh, anyway, so what are we all emphasizing? What, if we bring it back to this, what, what, what is all of this about? It's about God's justice. It's about how God deals with sin. We, last week we talked about him forgiving sin, and now we're seeing, but God doesn't wink at sin. He never ignores sin, which makes him just. It makes him the justifier and the just at the same time. So, uh, other questions? Yes, David. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Yes, yes. Yeah, because God gets glory for himself both in punishing the sin and also for clearing the sin, right? Um, And that's, God is more glorified um, through that whole process. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's go ahead and go to prayer. Father, we thank you. Lord, the question is not how can you possibly not clear people and just forgive. The question is how can you possibly forgive? How can you possibly be just and forgive us who have offended you and have um, dishonored you and incurred infinite offense? And the answer you have given revealed through the gospel is Jesus Christ 
that your son, the God-man, the perfectly righteous one, the perfectly infinitely worthy one as both God and man, you have placed our sins on him. You have counted our infinite debt against him such that we are counted the righteousness of God because that is transferred to us. Lord, in the great exchange, it goes both ways from our sin to Christ, Christ's righteousness to us. And Lord, you are to be greatly praised and honored. And, and Lord, we don't, we don't grasp this like we ought. Help us to grasp the glory of you being the just and the justifier. And Lord, help us to sing and to respond to this. Lord, we have a great opportunity to respond to this this morning as we sing Lord, just your praises and the, uh, the thankfulness of your work in Christ. Help us as we gather together and do what we do that um, you will be greatly praised, you will be greatly honored, um, and you will be pleased. And we thank you that you are pleased through Christ. Thank you for this morning in Christ's name. Amen.